You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to Almost 30. We're fired up. Fired up. Fired the fuck up. is so good. (laughs) Couldn't wait to do an intro. Could not. (laughs) We did it right after. I'm like living. Her energy is insane. We have Glennon Doyle on the podcast today. Uh, if you don't have her new book, Untamed, get it now. And this is the perfect time to be reading Glennon's words and her. I just love witnessing her growth. Yeah. It makes me love my humanness uh, through her loving her own humanness. But yeah, she she is so present. And like, we'll I'll say it again. Like with someone who is as known. And in demand as she is, they are some like those types of people who have found that success are some of the most present people I've ever yep. experienced. Completely, it's like there's a reason why they're they're at the top. Mm-hmm. Also, too, it's so nice to read her book in memoir style because it seems less. I don't know. I'm kind of over self help books, self help type work because I do so much work. It's like. It was just so refreshing to hear it in story, to hear the lessons and stories, and then choose to identify the parts to which felt true for me, you know? And it's just so, it was so easy to digest, but also powerful and profound and like enjoyable. So this interview is incredible. She is so cool and present. And we got to see Abby at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Abby was tech support. (laughs) (laughs) And I, it's so funny. Chris and I looked at each other. It's just like, oh, wow. Like we An get, iconic we get it. Yeah. Like you just like feel their love and it's so, so cool. And that sounds really cheesy to say. And the fact that it's like, it touches me, it just says something about like kind of what I'm experiencing in the world in general. The fact that love is like few and far between. But I just, when I see a relationship like that, that has just like this deep electric connection and respect, I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. there was pure love there. So in this conversation, we really dig into Untamed. Um, we talk about how she's feeling now during these interesting times. We talk about how truth is kindness and how it's liberating for both parties, which I found profoundly transformational. We talk about um, her family being human, feeling the feelings. We also talk about when women start to lose themselves. So she gives like just really profound specific stories from her own life when she would totally abandon herself and how she's been able to start trusting herself again. She also speaks to her relationship with her mom, which was really cool for Krista and I to hear. I think, you know, all of us, no matter how good or interesting our relationships are with our mothers, there is 
something there for all of us that we might need to look at as adults. We should look at as adults. And she describes how, um, you know, when she decided to marry Abby and she told her mom, her mom was terrified and it is coming from a place of love, but the boundaries that she created and how she handled that, I think you guys will be really, really taken aback by it. It's, it's really profound. Yeah. And then we talked about one of the most, uh, the I don't know, the coolest part of the book that I really didn't think would, I wasn't expecting was in regard to race and um, her work, uh, in the race space, her work in social justice and the social justice movement and her activism and everything she's learned along the way and really shared openly some points that as white women, you know, Lindsay and I as white women can really take to heart and really apply to our lives to be better allies. Mm-hmm, yeah. Her audience is mainly white women and she, she had a moment um, years ago where she was like, frustrated by not seeing um, women of color in her audience. And she's like, wait, that's not the point. You know, it is using her own platform and who her audience is to educate the white women on in her audience to these impactful uh, black voices. And so she and Abby actually did a speaking tour and they were the minority on the speaking tour. And it was, yeah, I just, I love digging into that with her. So excited for you to listen to this one. Um, Just know that we're talking over Zoom. This is during obviously everything that's going on. We can't be in person. So the sound is not tip top quality, but uh, we know you will hear the message. So thank you for understanding that. Yeah, enjoy. And she's Glennon Doyle on Instagram and you can find Untamed everywhere. So a little bit of happenings for almost 30 before we dig in. We have a workshop with Peta Kelly, the great Peta Kelly, author, speaker, activist, dear friend of ours. She is another woman that truly lives in her truth. So if you enjoy the message of Glennon, you know, Peta speaks to these messages as well. And in that workshop, we're going to be talking about the new paradigm, how to navigate and live within new earth. So that is one of our topics for our new paradigm digital series that we have with her on the 24th. Yeah, it's a Sunday evening. So it's kind of perfect. I love like, I love doing some work on a Sunday night and like kind of that work that sets me up for a really great week, week ahead. So I you know, we invite you to join us. It's going to be really intimate. You'll get to ask questions. Um, so yeah, you can learn more by going to almost30podcast.com. Uh, we have our digital series there. And then our shop, uh, shopalmost30.com. Krista and I are really excited and proud to offer you things that have come directly from our experience and our heart during this time and just leading up to this time. Uh, for example, Inner Peace, our new program is available. And this was really born out of our experience over the years navigating chaos and just feeling so many times out of control and unable to come back to ourselves, but using practices and rituals, certain journal prompts, asking certain questions, meditations, we've been able to kind of master it, you know, and it's helped us, especially during this time. So we wanted to put that in a program for you that you can um, revisit 
anytime you need it, as as many times as you need it. So you can uh, purchase Inner Peace for a really affordable price at shopalmost30.com. Yes. And then you can get tons of discount codes from our partners, from our amazing sponsors of the show who we love at almost30podcast.com under the partner section. And if you're interested, you can join our ambassador program or one of the subgroups we have for Almost 30. And within those subgroups, women meet where they are. So wherever your community is, you can find like-minded people and connect through the ambassador program. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for your support. It means the world to us. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts, we read every single one of them. So thank you to everyone who has written one. If you haven't yet and you're called to, we would really appreciate it. We read a review on uh, the other side of this episode. And just a reminder that we're here for you. You know, we're all kind of navigating this for the first time, like what's happening on earth. So just be really gentle with yourself. Give yourself that grace, but we are here to support you. Enjoy this episode with Glennon Doyle. We love you. How are you feeling? How are you feeling amongst everything? Just like general check-in. And we just Book launch. We begin, by the way. Everything. It's the weirdest book launch that I've ever had. Um, in some ways, it's an ideal book launch for me because I'm a raging introvert. So doing all these things from home is kind of awesome. Um, but then it's just a crazy time. I mean, I, I'm half writer, half activist. So most of my time is right now is spent on empty other rising and it's just I've never seen so many people with so much loss at once. So it's amazing how well the book is doing. We just found out that it's number one again for the sixth week. And then it's terrible. What else is going on? So it's just everything as usual mm-hmm. at once. Yeah. Such duality. Definitely. And how, yeah. you know, being home and, you know, just kind of getting a peek into the household with kids and it's just, it's so real. And we have a lot of moms in our community and, you know, how are you able to take care of yourself with everything Mm -hmm. that's going on? I mean, I just feel that there's no other way to describe it. And that I just think this is all together too much family togetherness, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's just too much. Um, And our kids, we have, a divorced family. So we have two different houses. So actually that's kind of amazing. Yeah. Because right when we start to get really sick of each other, it's just bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'm so sad that you're leaving. No, you're like, oh. <laughs> we're like, yeah, honestly. <laughs> so we're lucky in that way. Mm. And we're also lucky our kids are older. I don't know how the yes. hell. People are doing it with little kids. Yeah. Do not know. I think about that quite often. It's like now now moms are also teachers and now moms who have help, you know, don't have help. There's just like so many different elements of it that have been challenging. But I feel like even more so than ever, your message and and what you wrote in Untamed is just so relevant for for people and for women. Um, And again, like in our community, it's just been unparalleled to any other book that we've ever, you know, talked about with them. And we breezed through the book in like a few days. We were, I read it just almost in like two sittings. I was like, and each time there was something else revealed, I was like, my jaw dropped. There was so many elements where I was like, I cannot believe she's also putting this in another book. Like the part about um, like the white fragility and then the part about worthiness for 
equating to doing. I was like, oh, there's so many elements, but I want to dig into all of that. But one thing that I really noticed too was just seeing your evolution and your posture and the joy that you exude just increase so exponentially upon meeting Mm. Abby and upon writing this book. And I get chills saying, like I get chills now because it just seems so like magnetic for me. And it seems like so perfect for you. And I'm just so deeply happy. But there was one part of the book where you talked about that, where it's almost like the more joyful you get, the harder it is for people to relate to you. Um, This was actually closer to the end. And I thought this was so profound. And it was even just like a sentence, but a paragraph in itself. So I'd love to dig into that and how, you know, people have changed in response to you to being super happy. (laughs) Yeah, we love suffering women. In this culture, 100%. we want our women to be humble and messy and sad. And um, it's really something, you know, I started noticing it. Yeah. Just like you said, right after I met Abby and then I don't know, you know, it's, it wasn't about, I'm sure some of it was about being like truly in love for the first time, but I think a lot of it was just not just owning it all for the first time. I mean, I had, I announced my um, marriage to Abby and my being in love with Abby, um, which was also kind of a, it was a coming out too. um, Although I never really saw it that way. I announced that we were in love and then people were like, Oh my God, you're coming out was so beautiful. And I was like, Holy shit. (laughs) I just come out. (laughs) You're like, add that to the resume. Dual party. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think it was just sort of like not having any shame or secrets or anything anymore. It was just like this fearlessness. And I went through that right as I was launching a book that was largely touted as a marriage redemption story. So, uh, mm -hmm. so I had to, I didn't have to, I demanded to announce my divorce, um, weeks before Love Warrior came out which was a terrifying experience because um, my entire team, because so many people were invested in that book. You know, it was supposed to be the biggest book of the year and it was already an Oprah book club pick and the tagline for it, which I didn't pick. uh, It's an epic marriage redemption story. So, so for me to say real quick, before the book comes out, I'm just going to real quick get divorced. And um, just also I'm in love with a a female Olympian. It was like a big, I had a very, um, a career that was largely based on a traditional family and, a largely faith-based community. So they were sure that, you know, over and over again, I heard your career will be over, which of course is never true. When you tell the truth, the truth just always stands up. You know, I mean, people respect it. They don't expect their writers to be perfect. They just expect them to be honest. But it was a firestorm. It was a shit show for a while. You know, I mean, entire religious denominations were writing take down pieces, like kicking me out of their denomination, you know, which was hilarious because I wasn't even part of their denomination. (laughs) Right? Like I felt like that episode of of Seinfeld where Kramer's like, you can't fire me. I don't even work here. (laughs) (laughs) I never signed up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I don't know, like making it through that and realizing, you know, sometimes when you're a woman, you think, Oh, criticism is the end of the world. Like people not liking me is the end of the world. Everyone has to like me. So to see so many people hate me and survive it, it just gave me this like 
fearlessness, which is, I think, what people started to see in me. And I started to notice I'd be at speaking engagements. And without fail, somebody would stand up at the end during the Q&A and say something like this. It would be like, you know, I just used to relate to you so much. Um, you know, when you talked so much about pain and and your suffering and and now, you know, since you've been with Abby and since you're just lately, I just find it harder and harder to relate to you. Like your job is to relate to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, but it was always, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't angry about it. It, it was just like they, they were showing, they were saying, they hadn't identified yet the thing that I know is true, which is they, did, they thought it was personal. They thought it was personal about them and personal about me. But that shit is never personal. That mm. is our conditioning, right? That is, um, you know, every study that's been done about the more successful and the more bold and the more certain and the more powerful a man becomes, the more people like and trust him. And just like a complete opposite bell curve, the more successful, powerful, bold a woman becomes, the less people like and trust her, right? So, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I hear it and see it all the time. You guys do too. It's just like you, the way you hear it is you, I don't know. I can't put my <laughs> finger on it. It's just something I don't like. I don't know. I just don't like her. I just don't like her. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. what it is. It's internalized misogyny. It's <laughs> what it is, right? Um, and, and I get it. It's our conditioning and it's not our fault that it was planted in us, but it is certainly our responsibility to, to recognize it when we see it in ourselves. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. I, I, I do it. I was, uh, at a soccer game. I put the story in the book. I was at one of my kids' soccer games and all the soccer moms, my friends, the soccer moms on the sidelines were just getting pissy about this girl on the other team. They just didn't like her. Just rolling their eyes, just and I and then I started to do it, not outward, only inward, because I hide my shit. (laughs) And it was because she was like so full of herself. She was first of all, she was so good. She was so good at the soccer, and she was on the other team. Okay, and she was just like kicking the balls in the goal, like it didn't even wasn't even hard for her. Just walking around like she owned the place. And my, our first reaction is, who the hell does she think she is? Mm. And it's just, so she was 12. She was just 12. A young icon doing what she's supposed to do. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is so ingrained in us. And, you know, when you were telling that story before, just, it made me think about, you know, as you, you kind of came more into yourself as we as women come more into ourselves. It's like society or our friends see us going farther away from ourselves, but it's really just that that old version of us that we're kind of moving on from and growing out of. And so it's like this dichotomy that causes so much pain and friction when, you know, I think in our most intimate relationships as people see us and witness our evolution, you know, what has been, you know, with the people that are closest to you, kind of the, the conversations that you have, because I think a lot of people in our community are changing and they're evolving Mm -hmm. and they're actually finally doing the work within themselves to get closer to who they really are. And they are having these interactions with people that they love that are uncomfortable. And they're like, who are you? 
who are you becoming? Yeah. It's like, how do you, how have you had those conver- important conversations with people, hard conversations with people? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you have to, you have to explain yourself, but like, how can people just invite others that they love in during this time? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's just this like radical understanding and acceptance that we're supposed to be changing, right? I mean, that is the whole point. I can't imagine another point of life than just over and over becoming truer and more beautiful versions of ourselves, which ironically usually means we're just going back to the version of ourselves we were born with. <laughs> right? Like we're trying to get that self back that at some point we convinced the world convinced us wasn't good enough. So we started uh, trying on other identities. So it's, re- it's, like, it's like we're becoming and also returning, you know, at the same time. And, and that scares the shit out of people. I mean, it really does. And the, and the thing is that for me, what I have noticed is that when we receive um, pushback for, for our evolution, for changing, it's not the people that are ragey and that hate us that shakes us, right? It's like the quiet concern of the people that love us. That's the stuff that shakes us, right? So... So I'll give you an example of that. When I was telling my people one at a time that I was in love with Abby and then I was leaving my husband, who was the father of my three children, who my parents, I mean, this was just like, talk about like announcing an evolution (laughs) to your family. Also, my family is very, very tight. Um, Now I would, now I have the language to call it like a little codependent. (laughs) We just, my mom and I talk seven times a day. Like, there's no decision that isn't discussed. Um, she has loved me very, very well for a very long time. And when I told her about leaving Craig and being in love with Abby, she was scared. Okay, she was terrified, and it just came across every time we spoke. You know, I'd just hear hear the, the, the fear in her voice. She'd say, oh, what is the world going to say? Like, how are, how are the kids' friends going to treat them? Like, she was so scared about the world, the world, the world, you know? And, and I would find myself, this is how I always know when I'm slipping, when I'm starting to abandon myself, is I get really defensive, okay? When I start trying to explain myself to someone else. When I start trying to make 17 arguments for why I'm a grown-ass woman and I get to do what I want, that's when I'm not being a grown-ass woman, right? Like that's my red flag that I'm slipping because only defensive people explain themselves, right? I mean, only people who are afraid that the person they're talking to can take away the thing that they have start flailing like that. But I was flailing left and right with my mom. Um, and one day we were on the phone and she said, okay, your dad and I are going to come. We're going to come to Florida to visit. And I found myself saying for the first time in my entire life to my mother, no, no, you can't come because you are afraid. And my children are not afraid, right? We taught our children that love is love and that it is best to be yourself and let the world catch up so they don't carry the fear you carry. But if you bring it to them, they will see it in your eyes and they will help you carry it, right? So my job as their mother is to make sure that your problem doesn't become their problem because it's not our problem. <laughs> it's your problem. 
And so when you are ready to come to the island of our family, that's, that's how we talked about our family back then. It was just like, we are an island surrounded by a moat with alligators in it. It was like, little by little, we could take out the alligators and then take out. But in the beginning, when you are ready to come to our island with nothing but love and acceptance and celebration, we will lower the drawbridge for you, but not one second sooner. Because what I have found is that the fiercest women, the fiercest activists, artists I know who will stand up on stages and preach their liberation and preach freedom and preach feminism will come home and cry about their mamas. It is like the ultimate, you would think that the ultimate untaming is to be loud and yourself out there. But what I have found is the final frontier of untaming is often figuring out that the best way you can honor your parents is by trusting fully the women they raised, right? That this is not a them or me situation. This is a, I honor them when I honor myself. Because by definition, we have to do things our parents don't understand. If we are not doing things our parents don't understand, we are not living into the future they birthed us into, right? We are of two different worlds. And it doesn't have to be done with anger and hatred. It has to be done with boundaries. But my mom was just, she just loves me so much. She was just scared for me, right? And her fear about the world was causing her to bring me the very fear that she feared existed in the world. So that is the moment on the phone when I said no to my mom and made that clear boundary is the moment that I became an adult. I was 42. And it's the moment when a mother and a daughter became two women. So that's what I would, you know, what I would tell you about what will happen when you start to figure out who you are and what you want on your island and what you don't. And when you figure out that you are building your island to your own specifications, not to your families, right? That they had their turn and now it's yours. Is that there will be fear and it will be couched in love and it will be very confusing about what is what. And that the only way this is what I figured out. The only way, your, your family just wants you to be okay. At the end, of, they'll say a bunch of shit. It'll be a mess. They'll say, what they really want usually in healthy families is for you to be okay. And the only way that you can prove to anyone else that you're okay is just going about your life being okay. Whenever you find yourself explaining to someone else how okay you are, that's when you know you're slipping again. The the mother wound is something that is so real. And the mother relationship is like, for me, been one of the most spiritually, spiritually expansive and spiritually challenging relationships. So yeah, I really completely relate to that. And, and part of that really spoke to a point which I loved too, was like that your truth when spoken to others, even though it might not seem kind at the moment is kind. And even when you had that experience with, you know, Liz Gilbert, when you guys were just talking about how your truth can liberate others, I'd love to expand on that more, how being in your truth, although painful at the time, is the always the best route. Yeah. Well, that whole conversation with Liz, Liz is, you know, for a very long time, the only people who knew about me and Abby were my sister and me and Liz. And Abby, she knew. <laughs> that was it. And it was just so, I was just a woman who, I just had been convinced by so many people and by my culture that a good mother does not hurt her children. Like does not do anything 
that would bring pain to her children, right? So there was a good long while there where I just decided, well, yeah, I guess I'm just going to abandon myself, right? I'm just going to let this love go and return to my broken marriage because I cannot hurt my children. So then one day um, I was braiding my daughter's hair and she looked at me and she said, mommy, can I do my hair like yours? And something about the way she looked at me, I just, something snapped in, in me and I realized, oh my God, I am staying in this marriage for her. But would I want this marriage for her? And if I wouldn't want this marriage for my little girl, then why am I modeling bad love and calling that good mothering? Right? And the reason for that is really simple and obvious. And as a woman can understand the idea that the reason I was doing that is because I was tamed into believing that a good mother is a martyr, right? That, that what a good mother does is she just buries herself. She just buries her needs, she, her desire, her ambition, her dreams in honor of her children, right? Um, which, as we know, as anyone who was raised by a martyr mother knows, is just an incredibly heavy burden to bear, right? It's an incredibly painful legacy to pass on to a child because children don't ask their mothers to die for them, right? They don't want that burden. Which is why Carl Jung said the, 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 the biggest burden a child can bear is the unlived life of a parent. So what I figured out during that time is, oh, no, no, I don't want to slowly die for my children. Like, I want to show my children how to bravely live, right? Until the day they die. Like, I don't want to buy that cultural idea anymore that a mother is a martyr. I think a mother is a model, right? A mother is somebody who can't settle for any relationship less true and beautiful than the one she'd want for her kids. Right? Because our kids will become what we are and will only let themselves live as freely as we let ourselves live. So, so that's the stuff I was working out at this time. And, um, and I was talking to Liz about like how to have those conversations with Craig and with the kids. And, and a couple things Liz said during one conversation that I'll never forget. And she said, don't forget that every truth you tell even if it makes people uncomfortable, is a kindness. And every untruth that you keep inside, even if it makes people comfortable, is an unkindness. Okay? That, I believe, is true. And then the other thing that I've seen play itself out so clearly in my family, like now, or four years later, is this idea that there is no such thing as one-way liberation. Right, that when we give ourselves permission to live as truly and authentically and beautifully as we were meant to, shit hits the fan for a little while. And then everyone around us starts waking up. The family members who were the most afraid slowly start to grant themselves permission to live. My mother, I don't know if, if any of you have seen any pictures of my mother on the interwebs. There's several of them because she is fucking crazy. She is the, she is the most radical activist in our family now. 
She's been to twice as many gay gay pride parades as Abby and I put together. She plans trans remembrance ceremonies for her new church because she left her Christian church because it was not gay friendly enough and started at a new one. She is, she goes to marches. She goes to political meetings and rallies. She, it was, it's, I just watching her like, like, first of all, I can't keep up with her and she's making me look bad, but also (laughs) (laughs) it's just like this idea that when you see somebody it, it just like woke up something inside of her. Yes. Yeah. That she probably has always been because it's not our parents' fault. They were trying to be good moms, right? Yes. Like mm-hmm. they, they thought that was the epitome of love, right? So I don't know. It's just so, ex- and Craig now, like Craig was so, so upset when we were divorcing. Now, He's so happy. He has this gorgeous girlfriend who wants to make out with him. Like, <laughs> oh, no, like, like. of course, right? Like, it, it just—it it very rarely happens that someone is slowly dying and furious all the time and miserable in a relationship, and the other person is having a good time. Right? Damn like, truth, so true. There's resistance there at first, but if what I truly believe is that what is what is true and beautiful for me will always ultimately be what is true and beautiful for my people. That there is no either or, that there mm-hmm. is no of do I put my people's needs ahead of my own? No, there's no, there's no line. There's no hierarchy. Like what my people need is the exact same thing as what. I need. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful. And I've been kind of working through this in real time, thinking about that and and that it's been confusing for the people that love me the most. The fact that I haven't spoken my truth or been myself in certain situations, it's very confusing. And then it like kind of kinks their hose too. And so there's just like this really sticky energetics between us and and we know it doesn't feel good Right, but we don't know how to articulate it. So I just thank you for for articulating that. I think that's so important. And the second the second point about, you know, your relationship with your mom and your parents, I've just been seeing that like very clearly for myself recently, where, you know, I don't think it's my job necessarily to quote wake them up, but I always held so much resentment that, well, aren't my parents supposed to teach me that? Aren't they supposed to tell me this and show me that and show me the way here? And I forget that it is like that that two-way street. And it's it's actually a more beautiful dynamic way for me to participate in that relationship rather than always like waiting to receive, you know, what my parents should give me as parents and really looking at it as at it as a relationship has been super healing for me. I wanted to dig into, you know, you talk about pain in Untamed, you say pain is the fuel for revolution. And I just kind of want to like widen the lens here for, you know, kind of the collective pain. Um, Although I think, you know, I'm trying to see it as like this, this change and this stirring, but a lot of us are experiencing it as pain because we're pulling away from whether it's an identity that we've held for so long or what have you. So I would love to unpack that and how you've been kind of looking at it, especially recently with everything that's going on in the world. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a, an, an unbelievable experience of pain for so many people right now. As they're, as many are saying now, it's we're all in the same storm, but we're all in many different boats, mm. right? Like some of us are suffering in deep, deep ways. I mean, I I am reading emails from people and who are writing together rising who have lost people, you know, their beloveds and they can't even go say goodbye. People mm. are dying by themselves. People have lost careers and businesses that have been in their families for years. And everybody, even if you didn't haven't had like a direct searing loss like that, everybody is grieving their old life, right? We're all in this wild in-between waiting time. I think it's really interesting because all that pain's happening out in the world and that's real. And then at the same time, we are all stuck in our homes. Okay. And that is very difficult for human beings because we are so used to keeping ourselves so distracted from our own pain. Okay. So I always think of us as like snow globes, right? Like we, there's like something scary in the center of us, which is just like the beauty and terror of being human. It's like the knowledge that we all pretend we don't know every day, which is that we're all going to die and everyone we love is going to die. Every once in a while, I remind Abby of that. And she's like, Mm -hmm. shut up. Like, we all know that. We're just (laughs) carrying on. Um, I'm like, but but have you thought about it today? Honestly. (laughs) I'll do that with my fiance, like sitting on the edge of my bed. And he's like, Jesus Christ. Like, not again. (laughs) He's like, can't you just be like, have a great day? Like, no, no. I'm like, no, I wish I could. How can I have a great Work day? on your mother one today. I know, honestly, could be our last. Because <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the, the terrible thing that we don't like to think about, which, which we should think about more because it's actually what makes everything beautiful, right? Like the only thing that makes everything so beautiful is that it is fleeting, right? So that's why some of the most brilliant spiritual minds and traditions have have this practice that you and I are doing that our people don't appreciate, which is always keeping the end in mind so that the middle feels sweeter. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're doing it. So like a monk, they're a brilliant spiritual guru. <laughs> but we don't want to do that. We don't want the snow to settle. We just want to keep ourselves distracted from that with all of the things we do with our busyness, with our plans, with our, you know, our grievances with other people. That's how we keep the snow up. And now it's been like this great settling, right? Everyone's feelings and all their humanity in their homes. We're stuck with our people. I mean, all the little cracks in our relationships that we're okay, we can ignore when we stay busy are like sitting next to us on the couch, <laughs> chewing ice in my situation. Okay. Oh my God. Don't get me started. <laughs> hey. Love um, it. So, so, <laughs> so it's an interesting time. It reminds me very much of early recovery actually. Oh, very, very much of early recovery because an early recovery when you're getting sober is just a settling of the snow. It's like a surrendering of all the things you use to keep the flurries going. Right. So you don't have to sit with yourself. So, um, what I know is that in our culture, we have really screwed each other by not talking about how to deal with pain. Right. I mean, the things that we will make children learn without teaching them the very basics about, I mean, I think one of the reasons I turned to, to addiction so early, I became bulimic when I was 10, is because I was freaking angry and sad and fearful and doubtful and envious and all these things. 
And nobody freaking talked about that stuff. Right? We just are a culture that worships happiness. We think we're supposed to be happy all the time. And if we're not happy, then everybody panics and tries to fix us. Right? So when you when nobody talks about pain, you start to think that your pain means you're different and weird, and you start to like hide it or numb it. Right? And then try, that's what our whole culture does. And then you miss the benefits of sitting with your pain right? Because if before we were talking about the point of life is to become over and over again, truer and more beautiful versions of ourselves, then the fuel we use to become that, those, that it's pain, right? It's sitting with your anger. It's sitting with your um, fear and your doubt. It's not numbing yourself out of it over and over again. It's not grabbing those red easy buttons. You remember those Staples commercials where people would just, things would get stressful and they would grab a red easy button and hit it and they'd be transported out of their, you know, stressful, hot loneliness place. So we all learned our easy buttons. And the tragedy of that is that when we transport ourselves out of our pain, we miss all of our transformation, right? Because everything we need to become the people we're supposed to be next is inside the pain of now. And the other thing that happens, I think that most women, all, every woman that I know, all of them, all the honest ones at least, will tell you that at some point in her life, she realized that she had lost touch with herself, that she had completely, it happened to me when I found myself Googling, 3 a.m., Googling, what do I do if my husband is a cheater, but is also an amazing dad? Enter. <laughs> okay. So this is a rock bottom this is a time where you are 42 years old and you realize that you are asking a bunch of trolls and bots what to do with your one wild and precious life, right? This is really something. And I just remember sitting there and thinking, when did I lose myself? Like, it's like a phone line has been cut. Like, I know I'm up here, but I can't reach the part of myself that's supposed to tell me who I am, what I want, what I know, what I should do. Like, when did I stop trusting myself? And I believe that one of the reasons we stop trusting ourselves is because we abandon ourselves during pain. If a friend comes to us and says, I'm in pain, I'm so sad, I'm, I'm so heartbroken, we would never be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I can't take this. I'm sorry, you I'm done. You should Google it. <laughs> do what Google. I do, Google it. <laughs> But we would never do that. We would never abandon our friend in her moment of pain, but we do it to ourselves all the time, right? Which is how we break trust with ourselves. And so one of the beautiful things that happens, it's not just when you learn how to stay with your pain, which by the way, all it is is waiting. (laughs) Everybody's like, what does that mean? How do you do that? You just get pissed or you get sad and you just be sad. (laughs) <laughs> literally it. you just don't use all yeah. of your shit to not run. feel it right mm-hmm. so that changes you right the pain is like it's like an alchemy right that it, it, it literally changes you who you are but it also makes you become a woman who trusts herself because you become a woman who doesn't abandon herself in pain right you like look at yourself in the mirror one day and you're like i got you no matter what happens i'm staying 
You just stay with yourself. So that's been one of the best lessons of, of being 40 is like, first of all, learning that all feelings are for feeling, right? We're not, life is not about being happy all the time. It's not about feeling happy. It's about feeling everything. That pain won't kill me. I used to think that if I did feel my pain or my anger, that I would be like a black hole from which I would never recover. That is just not true. You can feel all of it and survive. And also just this beautiful relationship you end up with yourself when, you're, when you um, become a woman who doesn't abandon herself. It's just, I, I, I don't know. I have become a human being. I will abandon everyone else's expectations of me. Everybody's, even Abby's, everybody's before I will ever abandon myself again. That's just the only failure to me now. The only failure I can think of is self-abandonment. And it's one of those things too. It's like you teach others how to treat you. So that's why that's when the reverberation effect where everyone starts to treat you differently with mm-hmm. respect, with love, with like this sense of awe when you are there for yourself the most. And it's just a healing experience for everyone to witness. It's so profound to see a woman in her power. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that, one of the one of the parts that I I was just like, oh my god, I I, I couldn't believe you putting it in the book because I'm like, this is a whole other book. I just think it was so powerful about rest and how resting is laziness. That was like a belief that you had, and laziness is disrespect. And when you would witness Abby resting, and I believe so many women of our community are exhausted. You know, we were at on tour last year, and at one of our tour stops, we like had everyone raise their hands. We're like, how many of you are exhausted? Every woman in the audience raised her hand because we're doing all the things and we're just fucking exhausted and we don't feel worthy enough to rest. So I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, that discovery for you and how resting has changed you from that point. Yeah. So this is one this is one of the silver linings of anger, right? Because our bitterness, I think I'd call it bitterness. Like Abby would just freaking, it would be the middle of the day. Okay, it'll be like two o'clock. I've only just begun. I have only just begun to be miserable on this day, right? Totally. I worshipped I worshipped misery. Like mm-hmm. I, I thought I earned my worthiness by how bitter and exhausted and miserable I was. Okay. This is like um the way that I kept my family safe was by worrying to death. Like I earned all of our safety by my misery. Okay. Um, and so when you're a person like that and your freaking wife just decides it's two o'clock and why the hell not watch two hours of zombie shows on the couch, you guys, you guys, I would lose my damn mind, but we were still in the honeymoon period. So I couldn't communicate directly. Okay. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) You just moved stuff around her. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I would just for sure need to do the dishes then. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she would be resting at me and I would be doing the dishes at her, right? So that (laughs) we are masters of communication, right? And so the cool thing is, is I, I have figured out, usually I forget and I'm miserable for a little while, but then I do remember that like when I'm pissed off at somebody or something, it's usually just information about me. Like I'm triggering something, a belief about myself. And this is how I know because when I'm like, being pissy in my head about it, this phrase will always come up, which is, must be nice. 
Must be nice to lay on the freaking couch at two o'clock. Must be nice. And then I remember to change the tone of the sentence. Okay. So I go from must be nice to must be nice. (laughs) That changes the whole thing. Like it must be nice. Maybe that is nice. Maybe I want that thing. Like maybe I want to be as audacious and comfortable in my own skin. Maybe I want to rest, right? Maybe I want to actually, maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe I want to actually believe that I do not control the universe because what a woman laying on the couch at two o'clock is saying is I don't control this universe. And I really do believe that things will carry on without me. What? Okay. So what, what happened is that one day Abby was on the couch and I walked in the room with a with a, a basket of laundry, of course, because I needed to fold at her. Of course. And, <laughs> and I saw her like jump up. Like she jumped off the couch and like like she was like she was nervous. Like she was ashamed. And mm-hmm. that took me right back to when I was 10 years old. And when I would be home alone, if I heard my parents' car come up the driveway, I would jump off the couch, try to look busy. In my home, mm. hustle was everything. Like you, did, your ass did not sit on the couch unless it was family approved resting times, which was just eight to 8.30 Cosby show. That was it, <laughs> right? That was before we knew about this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so basically it was triggering an old belief that like I still functioned by, which is that my worthiness is tied completely to my productivity, right? That I am only worthy of the space that I take up on the earth in direct proportion to what I am producing, to what I am cleaning, to what I am, you know, just, it's so exhausting. It's so exhausting and it's so not true. And you guys will have to remember it as producers of content. I mean, dear God, it will eat you alive. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you do not fiercely guard your humanity, right? If you do not remember that you are not a machine and that you are not a robot and that you are not here to just constantly push out content in one way or another, right? That, that, that part of the beautiful part of the human experience is just to be, right? Just to make the radical decision that you deserve the time and the space on this earth just to be and rest and enjoy, you know? So, um, so I work on it, you know, like after this podcast, I'm for sure she's sitting out there on the couch. Mm-hmm. 100%. Okay. 100%. <laughs> and maybe I'll go join her for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then I'll start like itching. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> 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 little victories but that's the thing every time I say I hear myself saying must be nice mm-hmm. anybody that judgmental thing that really yep. reveals your deep longing mm-hmm. I just always think okay how can I get that thing for myself then relationships are our greatest teachers and I'm feeling like as an adult it's like the most uh, uncomfortable thing at times, you know, um, especially with a romantic partner, you know, I I think I, like, I 
early on in my dating days, I always wanted to change the person, you know? So that like feeling of like her sitting on the couch, it's like wanting to change that about her, but it's been such a cool experience to be in those moments and be like, I love that you love that. And maybe how it makes you feel is something that like we can enjoy together or I could start doing. It's just like this really beautiful learning and that we chose that person for a reason Yes, because the thing they are doing is the thing that we deeply know we need. Like for example, okay, I'm with you, except I'm probably more extreme than you in that I, I am the most controlling controller that ever controlled. Okay. (laughs) Like I used to just call it good leadership. Okay. But now I know that I'm the worst. Okay. And I just feel like I'm very smart and that I have really good ideas about how everyone should behave and that if everyone would just do the things, right. That it would just all, it just, I just have this vision, right. Mm -hmm. And it would just all, I just want to help you make all of my dreams for you come true is what my family says about me. Okay. So this worked for a long while, but then I married Abby and it stopped working. She's uncontrollable. And, and we're two women. So we're just always like digging and talking and like over communicating and we know each other very well. And so one day I was um, doing the thing where I'm just manipulating her, but I think she doesn't know. Right. And she said, okay, honey, I just see what you're doing. I know it's out of love, but I need you to know that when you try to control me, it makes me so sad because it makes me know that you don't trust me. And I trust you so much. And I want you to trust and respect me too. Okay, these were not the conversations I was having with my ex husband. Yeah, I was <laughs> okay. gonna say. They usually don't catch the manipulation, which is like, no, this is the whole thing. <laughs> Plus, I went a decade without that conversation yeah, in my 100%. life. 100%. So, so here's what I figured out about control. Okay, she was talking about control, but she was talking about love and trust. And so, what I figured out is oh, we can control our people or we can love our people. But we can't do both because love demands trust. And so we only control things we don't trust, right? And the cool thing is, is that when you figure out, you said you're trying to change your person. I'm trying to change Abby. Okay, okay, Glennon. So what's the end result of that? Do you want her to be like you? 100%. You want her buzzing around this house like you? Like, I mean, <laughs> totally. Never sitting down. Mm -hmm. Or like Abby has this unbelievable trust in people. She just trusts everybody. I, I am Fort Knox of boundaries. Okay. I, it is very hard for me to to trust people like in my real life. I know in the, on the, in my art life and activist life, I love everybody in my real life. I love like four people. (laughs) Very guarded. And so when Abby widely just trusts that goes around trusting everybody it scares the shit out of me mm-hmm. and so i shame her about it <laughs> that's my main strategy is i say have you asked this have you asked this what until i figured out do i want her to be like me like do i want her no i married her because i need to rest i married her because i need to trust Right? She married me because she needs to get her ass off the couch. 
She mm-hmm. married me because she needs to ask a few more questions of people, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we actually both need to stay exactly who we are and just model for each other these like yin and yang ways of being that actually make us really good partners. Mm. Anyway. Beautiful. Obsessed with that. Yeah. My fiance loves the most when I'm like unwell. If I'm like feeling my stomach hurts or my head hurts and I'm resting, it's like his favorite thing. He like curls up next to me. He's like, oh, we're just going to chill for a while. (laughs) I'm like, oh, only until I'm better. Um, Just as a last thing, I'd love to know, you know, as far as like your activism right now, has that been more activated than ever? How are are you feeling inspired? Are you feeling defeated? Like how has that been? Because I know that's such a huge part of your life. Yeah, I mean, it's been different than usual. Like usually with uh, Together Rising, I would say we're 60% kind of like first responders on the ground trying to like meet individual families' needs. That's what we've been doing for a decade. Just like people who are like um, women who are like, I can't keep the lights on. I can't pay my bills. I can't blah, blah, blah. We work one-on-one and then 40% are big projects. Like the last few years, we've been the number one American organization reuniting families at the border and dealing the best way we can in service about this, the Syrian refugee crisis. And also really focusing on LGBTQ. Serve, I mean, the LGBTQ community is the highest um, growing rate of homeless people in the country. And that's because of the shame and hate that is trickled down in religious institutions to families who then turn that shame on their children and kick them out. Okay. So those are like big projects that now that we're always working on and that now feel like we're not as much because every minute of our day is going towards um, being that other 60% first responders. Because luckily we feel a little bit like we built the ark before the flood because we have been meeting people's needs this way like for so long. We just have so many systems in place to get funds to hurting people in real time. Um, so, so in some ways it feels like some of it feels like the rest of the world, like in some ways the big shit has stopped and the little micro just keeping people fed and keeping their lights on and keeping their rent paid has like skyrocketed. So yeah, that's that. Yeah. It's amazing. And I guess to last question for me, just like in terms of serving your community, you are a master boundary maker, as I understand. And so like, where do you draw that line? You know, whether it is during this time of COVID or, you know, I, I, I was reading an article and you were talking about, you know, exposing your mainly white audience mm-hmm. of women to, you know, the issues and the pains and the challenges of people of color. And that responsibility is something that, you know, we have felt with a platform and are just honestly navigating it, making mistakes along the way, but trying to be as honest as possible. And so like, I would love to just hear from you, like, what does that responsibility feel like? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you give yourself grace as you learn and evolve along with, you know, that mission? Well, first of all, I would say fucking awesome that you asked it. I feel like that is like proof that you're doing it because that's even that, like even asking the question, I can't tell you how many podcasts I've done with white women over the last maybe 7,000 podcasts in the last few weeks and barely any of them have asked me that. So awesome. 
because it's isn't it even scary? It's scary to like even bring up because you're afraid yeah. you're going to say it the wrong way, or you're afraid you're going to like. So I think just being willing to bring the topic up to let it be awkward. Feel like I mean I have been sort of in the anti-racist um, anti-racism movement for a while for a long time now. I have screwed up in so many ways that it's like sometimes I think my main job. <laughs> whether or not this is like an actual job is to try the thing first, screw it up royally so that everybody can watch me screw up publicly and then they can learn from what comes next. Like I really do feel like, and, and, and actually that's a, a service. Like That's huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. Yes. Right? The, you know, a few things, a few things. Um, I used to think all the time, like, why is my audience so white? Why is my audience so white? Figure out, okay, that's not the right question. Like, my job is not to get mm. my, um, to have black women listen to me more. My job is to get my white audience to listen to black women more, right? So, so my my first thought to you would be is have as many brilliant black minds on your show as you possibly can. I have lists that I can send you. Just. You know, I um, started this tour eight years ago or something. I just noticed that the speaking, I'm mostly a speaker. And I just, the speaking world was just like, God, like every freaking big, every big panel would be like, here's your two spots. Where's our token? Where's our or three spots? Well, let's get our token, two white women. And then, you know, one black woman. Like just, it just was so infuriating. So I actually started a tour and with almost all women of color and then like me and Abby, we, we were the token white people <laughs> on the tour. And what was so amazing is that the people would kind of come to hear me and then that every single speaker on that tour was so unbelievably fantastic. You know, one thing I've noticed is that when, when you have a tour or, or, an, or an event and you have that token spot to add a black woman, woman of color, it is like expected that that person will speak about race. It's so as if that human being is not a full human being who also has all kinds of different thoughts beyond race and could speak on other things. And maybe one of the white people on the panel should be speaking about, right? Like it's just so offering um, spots and passing the microphone to women of color and speak to all of their parts of humanity and not just, you know, checking the race box, I think is super important. I think it's really important to, um, I, w- I think that anti-racism work for, for white women is like um, a glacier and 95% of it needs to be done underwater, meaning you need to be reading every single book you can get your hands on. You need to be following black women and women of color activists. Like it's your job because it is, you need to be reading, you need to be transforming because if you are not becoming different, then when you do show up, what you say will be off. will be wrong because the process, it's not about like performing. It's about transforming. It's about like unlearning every single thing you've ever learned in your white centric education as I did. And, and, and so, so when you've read the, when you've experienced, when you've listened, when you've read, when you've given yourself time to change, you hear and see and speak differently. Right. And that's why like white women get so upset because they say the thing and it's wrong. It's just wrong. (laughs) It's 
tongue. And then they get corrected and they think, I, we think, but I tried, but I said the right thing. Why is is everyone so mad? And the reason why people are mad is not just because they said the wrong thing. It's because the thing that they said proved they didn't do any of the work before they showed up, which proves that it's all performative. Because had they done the underneath work, they never would have said that thing in the first place. Yep. Right? So so that would be my advice. Just spend, just make sure that your anti-racism work is 90% underwater where no one can see it. Right? Mm. Um, and then you actually will feel less scared to speak because you will have become different. You know, it's like, it's like if you're holding, if you're holding a mug and it's full of coffee and you get bumped, coffee will spill out. And if you're holding something else, something else will spill out. Like when you show up to anti-racism work, you will get bumped and what you are inside will spill out. So you have to do the work to make sure that thing that is inside is different than when you started. And just keep being brave because you'll get criticized. And there are worse things than being criticized, which is being a coward. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It's the the most humbling work of all time. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's that space where it confronts a lot of what we've been taught, I feel like, as women, which is you have to be liked, need to be right. Um, have to be small and just to go into that knowing that you're mostly wrong, <laughs> that you know you have to do a lot of the work to figure it out. A lot of the work is inside is like so transformational. So that was one of the things in the book that I honestly did not expect. And I was like, damn, she did not come to play. Like it is like so real for me. I'm like, that is so profound. And I'm just so grateful for everything that you've done. You know, all the points that you spoke to, it's so important for women. It's so important for all people. And we could talk to you forever. So thank you so much for coming on. I just like am in awe of you and your energy is just the best. (laughs) And um, we're, we're really excited and honored. Mm, guys, well, I hope this is just the beginning of a friendship. I just think you guys are wonderful. I mean, and sure, at your house tonight. I'll get on the, <laughs> we'll be on the couch. Yeah, yeah, be on the couch for Perfect. some stuff. I'll be folding with you, actually. Yeah. I'll be moving stuff around, planking it. You can be folding. We can like double team it. I'm going to fold at her. Yes, honestly. <laughs> Thank oh, you man. so, so unta- much. Untamed is available now everywhere books are sold and I cannot recommend it enough. I feel like I send texts like by the bushels mm-hmm. every week to people. I'm like, have you read it yet? And not just saying that because you're here. I truly, truly am so blown away by this piece of writing. I mean, everything you've written has been incredible, but it's also really cool to bear witness to your evolution mm-hmm. in your writing through these memoirs. So thank you so, so much. Have a great rest of your day. Go hang with Abby. And I'm so glad we get to see her. Like what? What This is my my technical support wife. Like honestly, like that was a whole moment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Glennon. We'll see you soon. Bye, sisters. Stay well. Bye. Thank you so much, Glennon. We appreciate you. Yeah, I mean, incredible. a true delight. Truly so present, kind, real, honest, everything you guys would ever think and more. And we are so grateful to be in her ether and to have her on the show and for her to speak so openly and honestly with you and then also to change our lives with her book. Um, 
So thank you so much. And then at the end of every episode, what we love to do is just recognize our community for being so kind and um, writing a review on Apple Podcasts. It means so much to Lindsay and I, and it helps us get on amazing guests like Lennon. So if you've been listening for a while and have found this content valuable, it would mean so much if you took a second right now, pause the show and wrote a review on Apple Podcasts. This one is from Zoe. 10,000 stars, best podcast that ever existed. Uh, this one is is so long and meaningful. I was like taken aback. I'm going to read part of it. Where do I begin? Lindsay and Krista feel like the big sisters to me that I never had. I cannot thank them enough for the light, positive energy, and constant sorts of knowledge they and their guests have brought into my life. These two amazing women and their podcast have positively affected me and taught me more than I can ever put into words. I started listening about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and have been hooked ever since. I am involved in the New York City Almost 30 community and have made great friends through there and even taught them a few yoga classes. I was inspired to have a women's circle for my 23rd birthday by Krista. And that was guided by an almost 30 New York City ambassador. I I was inspired by Lindsay to go on a solo trip to be still and journal all my thoughts and reflect. This felt so good. I was inspired by Krista to start going to sound baths, which have changed my life and chilled out my nervous system for the better. I was inspired by Lindsay to be happy and confident and appreciate this time while I'm single and independent. The wisdom from these two wonderful soul sisters is a blessing and I can't even thank them enough for everything they do for almost 30. This podcast deserves a million stars and an Emmy for the amazing amazing diverse guests they bring on, experiential learning and the amazing community they have created and cultivated. Thank you so much though. Appreciate it. Yeah, she sent that in the DM and I was like, yes. whoa. So thank you so much. Our community is just the best. So we meet in the secret Facebook group right now. Digitally, we have happy hours or on Instagram at Almost 30 Podcast. We have a lot of content that is coming out on YouTube. So YouTube Almost 30 Podcast, Pinterest Almost 30 Podcast for inspirational things, Shop Almost 30 for courses, affirmations, downloadables, workbooks, all of that good stuff. And we will see you on the next one. Thanks for sending and sharing with your friends. This is how we've grown. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Love you. Bye.